we'd like to invite the children ages two to five to be dismissed for children's church. Our scripture passage this morning is found in Matthew 13 verses 47 through 52 and it's on page 969 of your Bibles. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good in the baskets and drew out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household, who brings out his, of his treasure and what is new and what is the old. Please stand and join us in singing again. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if 
No, wait, here we go. 
It doesn't take long for us to realize that life is complicated. Life is complex and people are complex. And typically our, our response to that is to put people into categories. We, ba- we do that based on uh, theological perspectives, political views, people's jobs, where people are educated, how old they are. We find all kinds of ways in which to categorize people so that we can best understand them and and figure them out. And we come to the place with people that, that once we understand a little bit about them and we're able to get them into a category, then we pretty much know, at least we think we know, how they're going to respond to the things that arise in the world, in their lives, and in our interactions with them. And there's a certain amount of security in that. And then out of the blue, people do something completely contrary to the categories in which we place them. We we find that, um, you know, we hear about a person who is is staunchly Republican saying, that Democrat has a really good idea. Or a Democrat saying, that Republican has a really good idea. Or a Calvinist saying that an Arminian idea is worthwhile. Or a Wesleyan saying that a Baptist idea is worthwhile. And, and it sort of shakes our security about how we have categorized people. And, and the sort of pigeonholing that we do with people. And, and it's a little bit, makes us feel a little bit unsettled. When, when people do that to us and we're reminded once again that, that people are complex. And life is complex. And the truth is, our faith is complex because God is complex. The scriptures tell us over and over again that we cannot put God into a box. And and as hard as we try to understand what our our faith is about and to try to, to categorize our belief system, the scriptures are continually reminding us that God moves outside of that. So much bigger. But it's hard for us to grasp that. Because it doesn't fit our ideal of wanting to get everything in a nice, neat box. I read a review recently of Christian Smith's new book, The Bible Made Impossible. And, and he talks in this book about, uh, about some of the things, the ways in which evangelical Christians interpret Scripture and use Scripture. And, and he has a lot, makes a lot of good points. But the central thesis of his book is that the Bible is impossible. And he means by that that there are so many mutually exclusive statements in the Bible where both of them just simply cannot be true. And because of that, the scriptures can't really be trusted. I mean, if you, if you have statements that are opposite ends of each other, how can, you, how can you possibly trust the scripture in which those statements are embedded? But as the reviewer points out, he's missing the whole point. Because the reason the scripture does that is because it is our attempt as finite human beings to explain and understand the infinite God. And how do you put the infinite God only and limit him only to the categories that we might understand? It's talking about the multifaceted diamond that is God and that is our faith. That's so complex and so big. That you need statements that look mutually exclusive. 
And this is what we've been talking about over these last few weeks as we talk about the paradox, the tension in our faith. That almost everything, every statement we make about what we believe has an alternate statement that is a tension, a paradox to that first one. Great theologian Elton Trueblood said that if a man wants to avoid the, the, uh, the difficulties of the effects of, of paradoxes, then the best advice you can give him is to avoid the Christian faith. It's all about paradoxes. It's all about tension. But we struggle to see that. And one of the ways in which we struggle to understand that as we think about what it means to be the church and what it means to be connected to each other and to understand our faith with each other as we come from all these different perspectives, one of the most divisive, controversial, difficult issues for us to grasp in this tension and this paradox is the idea of the old and the new. It is, it is for a long time been a great difficulty for the church to grasp. That we live in the old and we live in the new. And it's hard for us to get that. Is it Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, you know, Calvin's talking to his tiger and he says, Mom and Dad drive me crazy. You know, they don't understand me. I don't understand them. It's hopeless. I'm related to people I don't relate to. And you know, I think sometimes we feel that way in the church. We have these opinions about, about the value of old and the value of new. And it feels like we just are passing each other. We're not connecting to each other. We're missing it. And one solution that we use to, to solve that is to say, well, let's just deny it's a problem. Let's just act like that we don't have any differences. Let's just pretend that, that there really is, there's really nothing about us that, that we see this differently. But, you know, that's not going to accomplish anything. I think a more common solution is we just fight about it. You know, we argue with each other and we fight with each other and and we make demands on each other and we condemn each other and we judge each other. And the result of that is that we have ripped the church apart so often over this issue of old and new. And I think the solution that we're looking for is for the people of God to to step up with courage and with love for each other enough to say, let's let's acknowledge our differences of opinion. But But instead of fighting about it, let's embrace it. And let's embrace each other's ideas about this. And let's see what God has to say to us about what you think and what I think. Because really what we're talking about here is is the character of God. Throughout the pages of Scripture, God continually reminds his people to look back at the past. To learn about the thing from the things that God has done in the past, some of his old ways. And you read through the through the scriptures and over and over and over again, God tells his people to remember. He tells the Israelites, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember how I divided the Red Sea. Remember all the things that I've done for you. Keep looking back. He, he says over and over again as he describes himself to Israel. In fact, the very first time as Moses encounters God in the burning bush on the mountain. And he says, who should I tell them sent me? And he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. And you see God identifying himself in the past with what he's done in the past over and over and over again in the scriptures. 
And you come to the the prophet Malachi and God declares in no uncertain terms, I do not change. The ways I have worked in the past are the ways that I work now. And there is, there's a foundation. There's a sense of rootedness that comes from understanding how God has worked in the past and, and looking at the ways in which God has worked in the past and embracing those ways. And we need to do that. We need the sense of security that comes from from knowing what God has done in the past and and seeing the old ways of God and embracing those ways. But of course, the old, the traditions of God are not just about the scriptures. God has also given us many other ways for us to engage him and embrace the ways in which he has worked in the past. You know, he, tells his, he tells the people of Israel not just to remember, but he gives them some, some specific ways to remember. And he, he establishes festivals and feasts for them. The Passover is intended for them to remember what he's done. And the Feast of Booths is intended for them to remember how they lived in the desert and, and God took care of them. And the, the Day of Atonement is for them to remember their sins and how God has forgiven them. And over and over again, God calls them back to these festivals and these feasts. And he does the same thing with us. And the early, the, the early church fathers realized that as Christians, we need some of those same kinds of, of remembrances and, and markers so that we look back and we don't forget what God has done. And one of the most significant things they did was to establish the church calendar. This calendar that is focused around the life of Christ. And it begins in Advent as, as people prepare, as the Israelites did through the centuries, for the coming of Christ. And then we celebrate Christmas in which we, we acknowledge the incarnation of God coming into the world in human flesh. And we move to Epiphany where God, Jesus reveals himself to the Gentiles and that he is for all people. And, and he opens himself up to the world through his baptism and through his teachings. And then as we will begin next Sunday, we come into Lent. This time of of reflection and, and focusing upon the passion and the suffering and the death of Christ and remembering all that Christ sacrificed for us and culminating on the cross. And then we come to that Easter Sunday and the season of 50 days that follow it we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the great power of Christ to overcome death. And that leads us then into Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church and remembering that Christ who has gone into heaven and ascended is coming back for us. The whole calendar is designed around helping us remember what God has done for us in Christ. And I know that for, for some people, it, you know, they, they want to reject those kinds of things because it just feels like you know, uh, rich, something ritualistic. But it's all about reminding us of Christ. And why would that be bad? Because we all forget. We are forgetful people. And we get so focused on other things that we lose track of, of remembering the things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And you know, I think... It's always interesting to me when, when I have people who are more concerned 
people say to me that they're far more concerned about celebrating civic holidays than about celebrating Christian holy days. And there have been cases where, for instance, uh, Memorial Day weekend is the same Sunday as Pentecost. And, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, negative responses because we focus on Pentecost. And I understand that we want to be civic-minded and we want, to, we want to acknowledge those things. But when push comes to shove, we're about the things of Christ more than the things of this nation. And God has given us through the church fathers, through the history of the church, a number of ways to help us remember what God has done and to remind us of where our foundation lies in the things that God has done in the past, where he has proven himself faithful and good and merciful and righteous and true. But like anything, we can turn even the blessings of these foundations, these traditions and the things of the past, we can turn those into things that become negative to us. And I think that's part of our hesitancy about doing some of the things because we've seen them turn people, we've seen the case where people almost worship the past. And it can come to the place where the past becomes so important to us that all we think about is the past. And it often will lead us to, to stagnation in our walk with God. Because all, we're, all that's in our minds is what God has done. Which is why we find in the scriptures God not only calling us to remember his old ways in the past, we also find that God loves to do new things in the present. Jeremiah 31, God says, The time is coming when I will make a new covenant with Israel. The old covenant was awesome, but I'm making a new covenant. With Israel, When you read through the Psalms, you see them admonishing us over and over again to sing a new song to the Lord. Think of new ways to praise God. And Isaiah the prophet says to us, you know, forget about the things of the past. Put those things aside because I am doing a new thing among you. And it is so important for us to understand the new things of God too. That God is at work now. God didn't stop working in the past. God is working now. And God wants to do something exciting and amazing in our lives. He wants to energize us out of the, the potential stagnation of our lives into something new and current. God is ne- never will settle for the status quo. And God doesn't want us to settle for the status quo either. He wants us to keep thinking about what are the new ways that we can worship God and the new ways we can encounter God and then see the new ways in which God is working in us and in this church and in this world and to embrace those and to look for those. But just as we can turn the old into something stagnant and ritualistic, so we can worship the new. I think it might be more of an issue for us sometimes because we live in a culture that's enamored with the new. And our our culture is continually telling us no matter what you have, a new one would be better. Right? You know, you, you go buy a computer, the minute you pick up the box and walk out of the store, it's outdated. 
right? You buy a car, and the minute you drive it off the lot, it's outdated. You know, and we're continually being told by advertising in a whole variety of ways that if you don't have the newest, fastest, hottest thing, well, you know, you're just, you're just out of touch. You're kind of a nobody. And your life is kind of a waste of time if you don't have that newest thing. And we fall into that trap. Now, granted, there are some things that, that we ought to that we ought to quickly move on from and that and new things are better. You know, I was trying to find my uh, my senior picture from high school because uh, there are a lot of reasons why you move from that, but the reason I was looking at it is because I had that picture taken in a leisure suit. This is the closest thing I could find to that. Except mine was powder blue. Now, the leisure suit is something that should have never happened and we should have moved away from that as quickly as possible. You know, there are some things where new is better, right? But we can so worship the new that it becomes all we think about. And the church is susceptible to that too. In fact, the church is so often enamored with the newest, fastest, hottest thing. And we will throw away the past in in a split second in order to engage ourselves in what's new. Because that's all we're concerned about. And we believe, we've told ourselves that the only way to reach current culture is if we push away everything from the past and just think about what's new. And we end up worshiping what is new. And we miss out on so much of what God has for us. And we're all susceptible. Whatever perspective we may have, we are all susceptible to ignoring the past and to being closed off, closed-minded to the, to the present. We are always susceptible to that because, you know, change is hard for us. Whatever the change may be, change is hard for us. And the only exception is if we initiate the change. You know, if we think of the change, we look at people and say, how do they not get this? This is the greatest idea in the world. And, of course, we're on the other side of that when somebody else initiates the change. Because we like living in our place of comfort, whether that place is is about the old or about the new. We like the comfort of the familiar. The familiar of how we live our lives. The familiar of the decisions we make. The familiar of worship. The familiar of how we encounter God. We are continually moving toward the familiar. What we forget is that everything that... Everything that was old, it's old as it was at one time new. And everything that's new is at some point going to be old. It reminds me of a parable I heard years ago about a, a tribe lived a long time ago, a faraway place in this valley that, uh, where the, the grass was green and the stream was wide and the, the game was plentiful. And they lived their lives in, 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 in peace and it was a wonderful existence until they became so prosperous that the grass wasn't green enough anymore and the stream wasn't wide enough anymore and the game was depleted. And there were some, some young heroes in that tribe who said, we've heard that just over the next mountain, the place where, where no one has been before, we've heard that over there the grass is greener and the stream is wider and the game is plentiful again. We ought to go. 
And they climbed up and they peered up over the mountain and they came running back breathlessly and said, it's true, it's true, come on, let's go. But there was a, there were a group of people in that tribe that were called the Council of the Old Men Who Know. And they said, oh, we don't want to do that. You know, we don't know, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like for us. We don't know, we don't know exactly how we'd get there. We don't know when we'd get there. We don't even know what our existence would be like when we get there. Let's just stay here. And they did. And they began to die off and die off. And as everything was more and more depleted until finally the few that were left said, we've got to do something. And they took their families and they climbed over the mountain and they got down into that new valley and they began to prosper. And they began to grow. And it was a wonderful existence until after many, many years, the grass wasn't green enough there either. And the stream wasn't wide enough and the game was depleted. And there were some new young heroes in that, in that tribe that said, we've heard over the next mountain, the grass is greener and the stream is wider and the game is plentiful. We ought to go. And you know what happened? Those first young heroes that got him into that valley had now become the council of the old men who know. And they stayed there. You know, it's, it's, it's like the idea of building a 100-story skyscraper. And on the one hand, you have, you have people who, who are so enamored with the foundation that when they get that done, they look at it and say, this is the most awesome foundation in the world. This foundation is deep, it's strong, it's big, it's built perfectly. This is good enough, let's just stop here. And then you've got other people who are so enamored with the beautiful decorative top of the skyscraper that they've designed that it's so awesome. Their idea is, let's just build the top. And let's skip the rest of the building. And you end up with nothing that is any value. Nothing like was designed to be. I suspect that a lot of our issue with this this controversy and this struggle, it seems to me that often the struggle is is rooted in self-centeredness that comes out in arrogance. That's hard for me to say because I struggle with this just as much as anybody else does. I have my likes and dislikes. And the tendency I find for myself is to say, this is how God has worked in my life. These are the experiences that I've had with God. These are, these are the good things, these are the bad things. And I've come to the conclusion that for me, this is how I hear God and see God most effectively. And it's such a great thing that I say to other people, you know, you ought to experience God like this too. Because it's so awesome. But it's not, hard, it's not a hard leap to go from, you ought to experience this too to if you don't experience it this way, you've not really experienced God. If you don't understand God the way I do, if you don't experience God the way I do, then your experience with God really can't be that great. And and we begin to say, it's really about me, not about God. It's really about how I view God and about how I experience God. It's really about my perspective, not God's. 
And that's not just an issue that brings us trouble. That's an issue that is catastrophic. Because now what we're doing is we're saying, God, you are limited to my way of thinking. God can only work in ways that I approve. God, you can only experience God in the ways that I think are right. And it doesn't matter if we think it's new ways or old ways. We're all susceptible to it. It's the issue of believing that we have the market, the corner, on how God can work in a person's life. And that self-centeredness and that arrogance destroys so much of what God wants to do. Anne Lamott says that she gets a lot of feedback from people about her perspective on Christianity, and you can agree or disagree with it. But she says people are continually telling her that her brand of Christianity is leading her right into hell. And her response typically to people is to say, do you know what the difference is between you and God? God never thinks he's you. I think sometimes we think we're God. And we limit God. And we put God into boxes. But I've come to the conclusion that if, if we really want to experience the fullness of God in our lives, if we truly want to be the people of God that he created us to be and that he desires for us to be, then we have to be willing and we have to embrace both the old ways and the new ways of God. Because unless we embrace both the old and the new ways of God, then we're going to miss out on some of the ways, surprising ways, in which God wants to speak to us. And if we're missing out on what God wants to do in our lives, how can we ever be the people he created us to be? I mean, isn't this the issue that the Pharisees run into, the religious leaders with Jesus? You know, they they completely miss him. And some of them miss him because they don't know how God has worked in the past. And so when God works now, they're like, I don't know. I don't know what God does. And then on the other hand, you have people who, they know everything about the past, but, but they cannot believe that God could work and come into this world in a way that's different from their understanding of God. And the result is that both groups completely miss Jesus. And if you and I limit God, we will miss Jesus. I don't know how else to say that, but we will miss Jesus. And we will live far short of all the plans God has for us. And worse than that, our lives and our hearts get turned off to God and the things he wants to do in our lives. And you can't just turn off God partly. You start turning off God at all, and you keep turning off more and more and more and more and more of him. And God loves to work in ways that surprise us. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that the primary way in which God speaks into our lives are usually by unexpected means. 
out of the blue, something that surprises us, something someone says, something we read, something that comes at us from a direction that we were not anticipating in any way. God gets into us in those ways. And if we have closed off that part of our ability to hear God and to see God, we're in trouble. Dorothy Thompson was a, she was a journalist in the 1930s, 1940s. In 1939, Time magazine declared that she was the most influential woman in America next to Eleanor Roosevelt. She was called the first lady of journalism, and she spent a lot of time in Germany, and she interviewed Hitler before his rise to power and was a, was a part of the press corps there, and very highly respected. And, and she, she made a statement. She said, without change, there can be no growth. But without tradition, there can be no civilization. And there's something of the kingdom in that statement. We need both the old and the new to make us the people God created us to be. In his book, That Incredible Christian, A.W. Tozer has a, a brief chapter that he titles, The Truth Has Two Wings. And, and he, he talks about how the truth of the gospel, the paradoxes, the tensions of, of all the things that we believe that come to us from the scriptures are always two-winged like a bird. And he says you cannot fully understand God and the things of God until you understand that, it's, that, that God is speaking to us from the two wings. But we so often want to try to fly with one wing. And what happens if you just flap one wing? You just go around in a circle. And you certainly aren't going to get off the ground, and you never are going to soar. But God has created us to soar on wings like eagles. God has created us to be so much more than we tend to think in our limited, finite minds. God wants to do something amazing in our lives. And he's looking for people who are willing to, un, to, to embrace both the old ways and the new ways. Understanding that God works in us through both. I'm wondering, are we committed enough to Christ? Committed enough to, to God, trusting God enough that we will say, I want to embrace the old ways and the new ways. And whichever one of those ways might be least comfortable for you, to really give your attention to that. The old and the new, the familiar and the unfamiliar, the comfortable, the uncomfortable. Are we that committed to Christ and to each other and to the kingdom. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace that doesn't want us to settle. Father, I pray that you will speak into our lives and our minds and our hearts. And whichever one of these Whichever one of these, uh, these parts of, of our lives that we wrestle with, open our eyes to it. 
Because we want to experience you fully. We want to soar on wings like eagles. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. I don't think this call of God is to, is to give up our preferences or, or to deny the primary ways in which God speaks in our lives. But it is simply to embrace the other ways in which God speaks into our lives. Things that may be unfamiliar to us. One of the reasons that we, we adjusted the order of the worship today is because we want to, to do a few things in the rest of the service that we might not typically do in this service. And we're doing the same thing for the other services later. Just to, to remind us and to help us to engage in just this one area of life, this one part, this worship, to engage in it in a way that we might not typically do so, and to let God speak to us through it. To push aside whatever prejudices or, or whatever we may have about it, and to say, Lord, speak to me through the unfamiliar, through the uncomfortable, through whatever you would like to say through your grace. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
before you're seated, take a minute, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. this other one, Mike. Uh, just a few things I want to highlight in life of the church tonight. Uh, small groups are meeting. Wednesday evening is uh, Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. And uh, this may be one of those things that's a little bit new to you. We've had Ash Wednesday services last few uh, years. But this is an opportunity to, uh, as we begin Lent, to focus on um, our sins and uh, the, the, uh, the grace of Christ in, in addressing those to the cross. And uh, we hope that you'll join us uh, Wednesday evening at 6.30. Service is about an hour. And it's just an opportunity to, uh, to focus in a little bit different way on uh, God's grace in our lives. Um, next Sunday morning is the first Sunday of Lent. And uh, you see in the bulletin a little description about uh, the sermons uh, coming up during that, that season. And we'll be meeting for worship again at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11. I just want to remind you about the membership class that will be next Monday night, the 27th. If you haven't yet uh, mentioned to me that you'd like to be a part of that, please do so. We'd love to have you come to that. And, of course, there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin that we continue to remember throughout today and throughout this week. At this time, we'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in their tithes and offerings. And please stand and join me in the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, our heavenly host. Father, all that we have comes from you. We pray that you would give us grateful hearts as we give back but a portion of all that you have lavished upon us. In your name, amen. You may be seated.
going to spend some time praying together now, and we'll start the prayer time with the prayer of confession that's printed in the bulletin. But we're also going to then move into the pastoral prayer. If you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to come now and to join me there. And uh, once we've done that, then we'll pray the prayer of confession together. You may be seated too. Join me as we pray together in unison the prayer of confession. Merciful God, in your gracious presence we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor, nation against nation, even disciple against disciple. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy upon us. Heal and forgive us. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We not only confess to you all of our our sins and our shortcomings, we bring before you the burdens of our hearts. We feel pain. We, We struggle with disease and illness for ourselves and for others. We know that there are many here today who are wrestling with grief and loss that comes into our lives from so many different angles. Lord, we recognize that there are relationships that simply are not where they ought to be. There are times where we are overwhelmed with anger and bitterness about what people have done to us or haven't done for us, about life and about the disappointments in life and the pains of life and the struggles of life. And sometimes our, our bitterness and our anger are turned toward other people, sometimes toward you. Father, we pray that you will take all of our emotions. We pray that you will work healing and grace into us. Give us a new vision of you in our lives. Give us a new vision of you in our relationships. Give us a new vision of you in our homes, in our places of work, in all the places where we go, and in this church. Lord, we pray that you will so bond us together in the unity of Christ that people will look at this gathering of believers, this body of of disciples, And declare, look how they love each other. Father, this is our prayer and our desire. We pray for this world in which we live and all the pain and heartache and agony that is so evident in our world. We ask, Father, that you will bring peace to places of war, 
that you will bring security to places of violence. We pray, Father, that the gospel, the full gospel of justice and righteousness and mercy and love will be proclaimed to people in every nation and that every heart would be open to you. Father, we know that you are at work. We know that you're at work in our lives, in this church, in this town, in the communities in which we live in the world. Today, we offer to you our prayers. We offer to you our trust. And we pray that you will help us to be people who are always continually open to you in whatever way you desire to speak to us and work in us. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, the crucified one, the risen one, and the returning Lord and King. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises once more to the God who is our help in ages past and will be our hope for years to come.
the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.